0: Welcome to Seismic Sales Enablement Shift Podcast. Here is your host and Seismic's Vice President of Marketing, Daniel Rodriguez.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Sales Enablement Shift Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Rodriguez,
2: and I'm your co-host, Alyssa Drury.
1: First off, Happy New Year! Is this awkward that we're actually wishing everybody a Happy New Year this late? Forget it. Happy New Year! It's 2017. We have a few exciting things to share with you in today's episode.
2: Most importantly, we're going to talk about what's going on with the Sales Enablement Society. We'll go over highlights from the national meeting back in November and what you can expect from the society in 2017.
1: We're also going to speak with Jill Guardia, Director of Sales Enablement at Rapid7 and the Chapter President of the SE Society right here in Boston.
2: Jill's going to share with us a little bit about what she learned at the national meeting what's on deck for the Boston chapter, and how you can get involved.
1: She's also going to walk us through her experiences as a sales enablement practitioner, including the challenges, wins, and how her roles and responsibilities have evolved over the years.
2: Let's welcome Jill.
1: All right, so yeah, Jill, great to chat with you. Um, Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure. Sure. Uh, I'd love to tell everybody a little bit about myself. So I have been working in the Boston area for a long time, grew up with the technology here, I started my career way back in the Lotus development days, and have been, sort of fell into a career around training and learning and did a lot of time running education P&Ls, customer-facing training, and then kind of moved into channel management program, eventually moving into what... At the time was called sales training. So I've worked for companies like Lotus Development, which was obviously bought by IBM. I worked for a small company called Groove Networks, which was purchased by Microsoft. I worked for Bow Street Software for a bit, and they were purchased by ultimately IBM. And in the early 2000s, ended up at Symantec. That was kind of my first foray into formally getting into the sales training, sales enablement role. And, and pretty interesting, yet just... Just yesterday I was having a uh, lunch with a vendor and we were talking about when did sales enablement actually start. I did a little Google search on that, can't really find it, but I think that it was in the late 2000s, somewhere around 2007, 8, 9, that the concept of sales enablement almost became sort of a trendy boutique type of role and made you feel like you were a little better than a sales trainer.
1: <laughs> How is it different? Like, I mean, what is what has changed now that sales enablement doesn't just mean training?
0: I think that what's changed is that we've grown up, we've matured. And I think you can look at it and say, sure, training to some degree is kind of a reactive, reactionary-based business. you kind of like looking and seeking out where are the needs, where are the gaps, and then you're trying to close that reactionary. I mean, in an ideal world, sales training is very proactive and you're very engaged with the business and uh, understanding what the challenges are going to be as you build your strategic direction. And I think that kind of front end is really a lot of around where sales enablement, the whole practice of sales enablement is, and then sales training is really a pillar underneath that.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, when I think of sales training, I I get the sense that marketing isn't that involved in sales training. But when I think of sales enablement, I do think that there are interactions, there's a cross section of the marketing team being involved with the sales team. Is that Is that what you've seen in in your practice?
0: Yeah, I think that that's an excellent point because I think, in fact, back in the earlier days of sales enablement, there was a lot of discussion about aligning the sales and marketing organization and that the sales enablement team was the bridge to that alignment. And I think what we've sort of evolved and matured to is maybe not the best way to call ourselves, but that sort of VP of broken things where we see that sales and marketing sometimes aren't speaking the same language. And if you put... Sales sales enablement in the middle of that, you know, you have this sort of seesaw balancing act going on about the salespeople will say, I don't understand this message. It's not resonating with my customer. And you can kind of bring that back to the marketing team and say, hey, can we work on some A-B tests and try a different marketing message? And and sort of you're that funnel of uh, interpretation between the two organizations.
1: What are some of the roles that you actually then interact with on both the sales and the marketing side in your current role at Rapid7? (laughs)
0: In my role specifically, I work with the VP of uh, Solutions Marketing, which in many companies would be called Product Marketing. And I would say, generally speaking, that's our, our primary team that we engage with because their reason for being is to make sure that we have the right messaging that's going to really resonate with our buyer personas. And so we spend a lot of time building programs with them to make sure that the sales team can comfortably pitch the story and also very confidently take a competitive position because that's really part of the puzzle too, is sort of, winning competitively, particularly in a market that Rapid7 is in.
1: And you have a very important role with the relatively newly formed Sales Enablement Society. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about uh, the SE Society for those who don't know? I mean, we've covered it many times, I guess, on on this podcast. But yeah, tell people how, how you got involved and where you see things going in the local Boston chapter upcoming soon.
0: So I'm really excited about the Sales Enablement Society. I think it's been a long time coming and and it's interesting to both be very much in the center of it and see how it's growing and getting legs and also observing it from you know kind of a local chapter to what's going on at the national level. So the Sales Enablement Society was really the brainchild of Scott Santucci, who's spent many years as a researcher and analyst and is currently with the Alexander Group. And he's spent a lot of time thinking about sales enablement, ran the sales enablement practice back at uh, Forrester a couple of years back. And so he's uh, he was sitting around he tells the story of actually he was uh i'm not sure i can do justice to his whole story and it's probably been on a podcast i think in fact the
1: first one but (laughs) we'll uh, have him and we'll have him on again too yeah the myth the legend (laughs) Yes,
0: exactly. So I think, I mean, the the long and short of it is that it's it's the brainchild of Scott Santucci. He was looking to connect with people who are practitioners of sales enablement and really understand more about the role, the evolution of the role, the challenges, the obstacles, the successes. And he started very locally in the Washington, D.C. area, and there was some national attention because he started to blog about it and use social media, Twitter and linkedin and and started to get the word out and of course I've known Scott for um, probably about four or five years now, and was immediately excited about what he was saying and and reached out to him, in fact, after his very first post and said, Scott, come to Boston. You know we have a lot of sales enablement practitioners here in Boston. It would be great if we did like a meetup, you know, coffee, and just kind of did this roundtable and got some of the juices flowing to share and network here. And we talked about it, and he's like, I will, I will, I will. And kept sort of saying, I will, but I'm not sure when. And then all of a sudden, late summer, early fall last year in 2016, um, there was just something that clicked. And he and the folks from the local team, really just decided this has to go national. And it was really quite an explosion of activity and interest. And we're well over a thousand members right now. And uh, and I'm very lucky and honored to have been asked by Scott to be the chapter president for the Boston Society. And uh, and we're starting to get our feet under us in Boston. And it's very exciting as well.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Um- uh, and I, I know there was the, the national meeting um, happened. It was just a couple months ago in November. You were there. Are there a few things that you feel like you, know, you, you learned while you were there um, that, that you'd be able to share with folks that, that maybe weren't able to attend but would be interested in attending in the future?
0: So I think it was a great meeting in terms of getting people together, being a kind of rallying moment for the society. There were a lot of stories shared. And I think really to a large degree, that was one of the key pieces, was sort of building that common vision and and, and feeling around where We are a true role and an important role in organizations. We have a purpose and we can work together to elevate our role and provide more value. And one of the things we took away is that there's a lot of variety, to put it nicely I guess in the discipline of sales enablement and because there's so much variety there's a lot of requests from this group of people in the sales enablement society I mean people are have expectations about you know this society is going to help me find a job it's going to help me get promoted it's going to give me a blueprint on how I can do this in my company it's going to um, help me with visibility it's going to give me standards it's going to help me be more strategic it's going to help me be more tactical And I think one of the outcomes of the meeting is that those are all important needs. And expectations, but there are too many really for us to address and we have to step back and say, okay, what is this enablement society going to do and how are we going to provide some value to our team? So we're starting to really dig into the four, the commitment to the four different flavors of sales enablement, which we bucket into sales talent management, sales messaging, demand management, and sales administration. And in each of those flavors sort of look at how we can define what's really Happening in there? Who's your stakeholder base? Who's your customer? And then, really key to all of this is how are you going to measure your success?
1: Yeah, that's actually that was exactly where I was going because I know that that's a topic that comes up very frequently. How do you communicate the value that you're bringing to the organization? Uh, What What's your take on this? Are there one or two KPIs that you put forward to to the leadership team in, in your organization to say this is how we're going to be measured? So
0: I think measures and KPIs are so critical, and yet they are probably one of the most misunderstood and challenging things to come to agreement with. So we're actually working on that right now where I am, and I've got a couple of KPIs that we're trying to sort of suss out what's the baseline and then how can we measure improvement. But there are two key ones that we're I can't tell you the exact KPIs because we're still trying to dig into the, what we want those to be based on data, right, using our business intelligence and, and coming up with a baseline and looking for improvement. But the two things that we're heavily focused on, although there will be more, is ramping faster mm-hmm. yep. um, for our new hires and then also improving our competitive
1: win rates. Got it. Okay. Those are great. Yeah. When you, so those four, going back to kind of the the four flavors of sales enablement, you know, obviously that that can be very broad. I think the larger you are as an organization and probably the larger your, more diverse your product mix, the more likely it is that you would really need to have competency in in all four areas. But in Rapid7, you know, I'm not sure, do you have more than one product offering? I mean, it's a, you know, you're a midsize, very fast growing, recently public company how do, like which areas are you particularly focused on of those four flavors
0: my focus is mainly in the hire to retire focus or the sales talent management. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean to us? To us, that really means very heavily weighted on skill development and and metrics around that. So we're looking at, obviously, the onboarding, how to onboard faster with more focused ramping programs for the different roles, and then how do we build in foundational skills so you're really focusing on just getting better in the role you're at, and then how are you building a career lattice? We call it a lattice versus a ladder because some people don't go, you know, straight up, they go side to side to try different things. And so that's kind of our, our main focus. We do have multiple product uh, and multiple product families, and we have quite a large services, uh, professional services arm. So this is where we really heavily rely on our solutions marketing and our product management teams to build a lot of the messaging and product training and enablement that we can serve up. To the sales organization as a whole.
1: How is your team structured to to support the sales organization? Are there different enablement motions that you have for different roles in the sales organization? Do you have BDrs that are just setting up meetings? Do you you how 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 are you structured?
0: Yeah, our sales team is structured so that we do have BDrs, which are completely focused on inbound leads only, and they actually report up into our marketing organization. And then we have SDRs that report into sales. And the difference between the the BDrs and the SDRs is as sales development reps uh, is that they are completely cold calling and they support different territories. And then we have account executives. There's depends on sort of if you're in the U.S. or outside of the U.S., but we have some territory account execs. We have what we call enterprise, low-tier enterprise, and then strategic-tier enterprise, I guess, where in the strategic-tier or national accounts, we have some field-based reps.
1: Are there different programs? Like when, you, when you're talking about rep ramp time, is that specific to any one of those groups? Are you focused on one area more than the other? Like How do you guys think about that organizationally?
0: Yeah, so we do want to have ramp time by role because you're measuring a different outcome. I mean, you can measure having a successful sales conversation as one of your outcomes, but the sales conversation for the BDR is actually different slightly different than the sales conversation for the account exec, because you're looking for a different outcome from that conversation. The BDR is appointment setting, maybe even customer service, right? Just to kind of get them on the line and talking to the company. Whereas the account exec is really trying to qualify an opportunity. So the time to ramp by role is going to be different. So right now our biggest audience or customer is the account exec. So we're focusing on understanding what how to define what equals a ramped account exec. And right. then you mean in terms
1: of you mean in terms of what what does it mean to actually become fully ramped? Like how do you know they're fully ramped? Yeah, exactly.
0: And so right right now we're using a time bound thing. So in six months you're fully ramped, but it's just time. It's not actually performance based. So we're turning it into a performance based metric. Uh, We think six months is the right amount of time, which is the equation of sort of your first 90 days or your first quarter is really orientation and learning the system and the ropes and the content and all that kind of stuff. And then, the next quarter is really roughly equivalent to our average deal cycle so that's how we came up with six months is where we want to get people fully ramped so now we have to we have that time bound so within six months you need to be fully ramped but how do we graduate you out of that ramping period into ongoing and we're talking about a variety of activity based metrics and maybe which will turn into a potentially a productivity score and if you achieve X on your productivity activity score, then we know you've, you're fully ramped.
1: How are you during that ramp period? How are you observing the, the progress that people are making? I mean, is it riding shotgun on sales calls? You know, is it, is it looking at you know metrics that are, that are logged in your CRM? Like, you know, what are yeah. what are some of the things that, that you actually do?
0: It's not a singular thing. So we're looking at a number of things. So ride alongs, you know, listening in onto calls by enablement, by the team lead, by the sales manager. We're doing role plays and scoring them. We have some knowledge-based quizzes that you have to take and pass, and then on top of that is activity. So your call volume, your call stats, uh, your pipeline build, and your
1: bookings. I think that's pretty sophisticated. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there's one. It sounds like a little bit of a hybrid approach because there's one on one end. There's it's like fully curriculum-based. And it can be very rigid, and can it can be challenging for people to know if that's is like the real world, you know, where someone can be a good test taker, but they're like you know a, a crappy worker kind of thing. I um, mean, I think it's, just, you know, it's a similar thing, and I, I think on the other end, it's. It's oh, it's it's a free for all and you have ramp time, but it's just time you don't really know. so I, I really like actually that you have there's a little bit of curriculum based stuff going on there, but it's not it's not strictly uh, fill in the blanks here and then you're good to go.
0: Right. It has to be a combination of things because we know you're not coming in understanding the product set, the culture, the process, the methodology. So those are things that we have to train you on and enable you on, make sure that you understand the who, what, when, how, and why. And then your ability to apply those things is where we can look at those metric-based models. Now, this is not a plug and play. It's not working beautifully yet. What, we're, what the intention Engine is to do because of some organizational shifts we've made about focusing different sales roles on different product sets and such like that. We don't have a lot of history to. To just pull that out of a hat, right? So what we are going to do is measure cohort groups and the cohort groups will be based on your start date and see how they're progressing cohort group against cohort group. We do have data back from, you know, 2014, 2015. So we can run some baselines and create a scatter chart that shows like our best performers are sort of in this area of activity. And so if you're sort of tracking in that, it's an indicator that you should be on the right track.
1: I like that a lot. It also makes me think of wine vintages, although, <laughs> although although, good. <laughs> although it's not the case that the wine vintages just keep getting better and better every year. And that's the case that you're trying to replicate. That's what you're trying to actually do with, with your role. So <laughs> <laughs>
2: um
1: Uh, so, so there's a lot of folks, so I think a lot of the people that listen and and, and give us feedback, they're always craving, craving more information about if I'm in a role where it does not have the strategic importance that we're looking for in the organization, but I recognize the need and I'm also being kind of asked to solve certain problems. How do, how do people elevate this role within their organization?
0: I think that elevating the role is really investing in the relationships Uh, with the key stakeholders, right? And this goes to one of the blog posts and discussions that have come out of the Sales Enablement Society, and I I believe there's a couple of other podcasts which talk about this, but the whole concept of a business within a business model. And so if you are truly trying to elevate your role as a sales enabler, you really need to look at your sales enablement programs As a business within a business, and that means that you have to have a board of investors. You have to clearly define who is your supply chain and what are they giving you. You have to clearly know who is a a stakeholder, who your customers are. And then you need to have some governance right? Some, some sort of rules of engagement, governance, um, policies that help you tell if you're successful and on the right track. It's certainly not the easiest thing in the world to do because there's sometimes the situation where the people who matter in your business within a business don't really fully understand sales enablement. And they think it's kind of one of those things like, I can tell you tomorrow that I want something two days from now and you can make that happen. And it's not the case.
1: And if you ask any of those folks that are also stressed out having to try to make those things in two days, it's also really, really been a major challenge. Right. Um, So for those people that are in the Boston area, like we are, how can they get involved with the Boston Sales Enablement Society?
0: I think the best approach is through LinkedIn. We are, as a national society, working on a system uh, that we can use to more formally communicate with people, to do some membership outreach, et cetera, et cetera. But that is a little bit of a ways out there. So in the meantime, the best way to do that is to reach out to me via LinkedIn. And uh, we'll be publishing on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on the Sales Enablement Society homepage. Our next meeting, we are planning to hold a quarterly live meeting in the Boston area. I don't know exactly where that will be. It might be out on the 128 belt or it might be in the city, depending on um, where we host it. And maybe we'll move it around. And we're also trying to do quarterly social to really help people with the networking side of things, which I think happens more so if we do a social. And so the best thing they can do is indicate their interest. I'm keeping track of all of those people and then we'll communicate with them via email, social, to let them know when the meeting next meeting is and hope to see them there.
1: It's excellent. And we'll put your LinkedIn in the, uh, in the notes. Um, Great. so people can easily find it there. And then for those people that are interested in joining in other cities, we want them to go to the website. Is that right?
0: Right. On the website, they can see where there are already chapters underway. And if there is not a chapter in their neck of the woods, then they can of course join any chapter that's close They can participate virtually in some, and they can indicate to Jen Marie, who's sort of the face of the Sales Enablement Society right now in terms of logistics and planning and all of that. They can let her know that they want to start one, and she has a quick starting startup kit for new chapters.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Um, And yep, that's at the uh, www.sesociety.org. We'll have that in the notes as well. Great. Well, Jill, thank you very much. Before we let you go, of course... The Speedy 7, not to be confused with Rapid 7, <laughs> not. but the, nope. the, speedy, the Speedy 7, are you ready?
0: I am ready.
1: All right, now I am too. What was the first concert you ever attended?
0: You know, I'm aged. <laughs>
1: <laughs> first of all, we are all aged in the sense of we have age. So I've, I've now done this enough to know that these answers are all awesome. <laughs> I, I, I swear I, there hasn't been one where i'm like oh that Blame. that band yeah. never made it like everyone's first concert is like something that made it someone
2: big. yeah
0: exactly okay so peter frampton
1: peter that's frampton yeah
2: now that you say that though i feel like mine might be someone who didn't quite make it what's yours well what? he made it at the time but ricky martin ricky martin that's uh. a legendary
1: oh <laughs> my mean, gosh he, in
2: 2017 Ricky Biden, not so
1: much, but. Living la vida loca, <laughs> upside inside out. Come on, that's come, one of my please. favorite fun facts,
2: though, because it was it was so much
1: fun. <laughs> Ricardo Martinez. I'm gonna have to
0: try that with my daughter and see if she's heard him.
2: Yeah, of him. exactly. Probably. <laughs> he was big when I was eight, so.
1: Yeah. <laughs> coming, coming straight out of Menudo. <laughs> Frampton, that was actually the first. That, that has a very special sentimental value in my family because that was the first concert that my parents went to together. Aww. And then Peter Franklin Live came out, and that was like a you know, big thing. So it's like, That's I, I remember hearing that. We had that record going in the house from as long as I can remember. Do you, you feel like I do? <laughs> Come on. All right. What was the last TV show that you binge watched?
0: So our my binge watching is not equivalent to most people's binge watching, but I am watching right now Breaking Bad.
1: Oh my God. So good. What season are you on?
0: Season four, about halfway through.
1: I believe that season four is the best single season of a show I've ever seen. I tell this to people. This is so funny. that wow. That's really? where you are right now. I've heard you say that. It's the, yeah, because <laughs> it's, the, it's the cat and mouse season. It's the whole cat and mouse season. Uh, the way that it is written... I don't want to ruin anything for you. No, but don't. But just in the sense of like, the season is a complete story. You know, okay. Like the season itself. Uh, yeah. So. Ah,
0: uh, okay. 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 I can see that now, yeah. now where I am as you say that.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's such a beautiful thing. Like I, I, the writing, what is the guy's, what's the guy's name who wrote Breaking Bad? Oh. Director. It says it right at the beginning too. Oh, I know. I'm, in one of the
0: chemistry symbols. He's, he's amazing. Yeah.
1: Um, anyway. I wish uh, I'm, could go back and watch I'm it. actually, so there are a couple of shows that I have decided I'm going to rewatch. Um, one of them I'm rewatching right now is The West Wing, because it was oh. so long ago that I actually saw it. Um, yeah, that would be a good one. So going back to The West Wing, uh, I'm in, I think I'm in season one. Are there a ton of episodes? I can't remember, I mean, like, season, I'm in episode, like, 20. I think that's still in season one. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, so...
0: I'm going to go with uh, This Is Us next. This I, Is Us is
1: started that. amazing. That is an ha- amazing show. So
0: I haven't watched even one yet, so I'm going to binge watch that one, I think. Oh, I had not watched
2: one as of maybe Saturday, and I'm on episode 10.
1: <laughs> i I'm I'm two episodes <laughs> behind. We've, we caught up, but then I've been traveling, so, so I haven't, haven't done it. But, uh, but love that show. Uh, the writing of that show, I mean... If you can not cry in like three straight episodes of that show, (laughs) you've never cried?
2: cried. You're
0: not human. You've never cried watching that show? I just
2: got to one like really sad part that I was like watching it literally while I was getting ready this morning. So I haven't, I wasn't in the, you know, I wasn't watching it with like the intention of crying while I'm getting ready for work.
1: It's not even, yeah, well, I guess (laughs) Yeah. it's not even the, some of it's like tears of joy. Like I just think it's a very emotive show. Like I, you know, um, love that. Okay. Mandy Moore, who knew? I know. Mandy Moore. She's very good. All right. What do you call the long sandwich that contains cold cuts, lettuce, tomato, et cetera? Sub. Sub.
2: Local. Sub.
1: Yeah. That was a question. You know, this was a question. The New York Times did a thing a few years ago. Um, And then that's one of the markers about places you you are. It's very
0: yeah. regionalized, isn't it?
1: Yeah, because if you call it like a grinder, your image, you're in Connecticut. That's if you're, it's a hoagie, call it. you're calling it it's Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, something like that, yeah. yeah.
0: Does anyone call it a hero? I, I think that there's a place where it's Somewhere
1: called. Somewhere somebody does that, I think. Yeah. Yes. I have
2: um, like a Greek friend that does. <laughs> but I think that's it's because like it's hero? like a hero. It, yeah. Oh, well, that's, the, that's is that me. where that comes mm-hmm. from? Oh, yeah. learn
1: something new every day. Yeah. All right. Do you put your glasses in the cupboard upright or upside down? So
0: alternating,
1: alternating to fit to so the, yes. is that the idea? Up,
0: up and down, up and down, up and down.
1: Frozen yogurt or ice cream?
0: Ice cream all the way.
1: Uh, bonus question. Do you have a, pre- a flavor preference?
0: Mint chocolate chip.
1: Oh, so good. Uh, paper or plastic?
0: Paper or, or – I live in Somerville and mm-hmm. we've got rules and, and we're right next to Cambridge. So you really have to bring your own. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> B-Y-O-B. Bring your own bags. Uh, yes. All right. So if you were a professional baseball player, you're the home team, and when you're walking to home plate, you get to have a song playing. Um, which is called your walk-on song. And the family guy actually did a little bit of riff on this too, where it was like the soundtrack of your life, like what would be your soundtrack? Um, so what would your walk-on song be? What's your pump you up song?
0: My favorite song of all time is I think a one-hit wonder by a band called Pilot, and it's Magic.
1: I don't know if I know this song. Magic.
0: It's, it's been thrown into another uh, recent song It's um whoa ho
2: oh it's magic. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Better
2: believe it it's so it's magic. You know. know. Oh yeah, that's a good tune. Yeah. I feel like that and Peter Frampton are both in some Adam Sandler movie. I really think that (laughs) those both come in to some at some point. We have to
1: find it. That's all right.
0: Just just so you know that uh that song was released in 1974. 1974. <laughs> and Selena, Selena Gomez re-released it in oh, 2009.
1: There we go. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> now we know. Now well, we Jill, know. Thank you very much for not only sharing your Speedy 7, but much more importantly, sharing all of the insights that you have about, about sales enablement. And, and uh, thank you for leading up the Boston chapter. And uh, yeah, we will probably, we'll probably see each other soon.
0: Yeah, I hope so. Thanks so much, guys.
1: Well, there you have it, our first episode of 2017. Many thanks to Jill for taking the time to speak with us today.
2: You can connect with Jill on Twitter, at JillGuardia, or on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash JillGuardia. And don't forget to see for yourself what the Sales Enablement Society has been up to at www.sesociety.org.
1: Thank you so much for supporting us during season one of the Sales Enablement Shift podcast. We're going to be back early this spring with season two and an entirely new roster of speakers. And we're going to talk a lot about how to put best practices of sales enablement into practice within your organization. Stay tuned.
0: Thank you for listening. You can follow our Seismic Sales Enablement Shift
1: podcast to learn more about sales enablement. See you next time.